Christine. And we are Shenanigans. Thanks for stopping by. Today's podcast pairing is with Whispering Angel Rosé. Cheers! Typically, our podcast is going to be funny and enlightening and hopefully somewhat inspirational and somewhat full of hope, full of hope and funny. But... Jen and I both got to where we are today by going through the things that we have been through. And so we wanted to take a step back and share a pivotal moment in both of our journeys. I am going to share mine today, and Jen will share hers in our next podcast. And I just want to let you know that Jen has also never shared her story in a public forum. A little nervous for that. You will be great. And I think it's a story that definitely needs to be heard, my friend. Absolutely. Yeah. So... Just know that these two might be a little heavier, but there's a reason. And we'll try to find the funny in these. Oh, we'll lighten it up. As we do always, yeah. So as humans, we tend to unite through loss and tragedy. If you look back through history, you will see some examples or many examples of how this has taken place. 9-11, a loss in a community, and now we are all going through this pandemic. I believe, collectively, we have all suffered loss either loss of a loved one, a job, a marriage, lifestyle, and even a loss of oneself. We are all going through our own journeys. Right. And Christine and I have been through tremendous loss, thankfully, at different times in our lives. Thank God. And through this, we have become stronger humans, better friends, more empathetic, and we just look at life with a different lens. If you have a friend or if you're lucky enough to have more than one friend who can weather the worst storms of your life with you, but also subsequently dance in the sunshine and your happiness and be your biggest cheerleader, hold on to those friends for dear life because they are true gems and unicorns. We definitely like to dance. Yes, we do. Yeah. I'm not sure we're good at it. No, we're totally not good at it. But cocktails make us think think we're we're, better. We think we're great dancers. Yeah, yeah. We got J-Lo covered. Yeah. So my name is Christine, and um, I want to share a little bit about what happened at a very pivotal time in my life. Um, I am the mom of four boys, and I had four boys in five and a half years, which is crazy. I was always pregnant, right? Oh, always pregnant. There's no <laughs> drinking for five years. Well, okay. Yeah. But um, I had I had four boys. And um, when my third son was born, I left my career to stay at home. I was, you know, my, my life became the referee, the cook, the bus driver, the wife, the, the maid, the gardener, the, you know, all those, all those the things, butler. the butler, <laughs> the, the wine consumer. Um, and I loved it all. I mean, well, maybe there might Mostly. be, yeah, there might be one thing in there I'd, I'd take back, you know. Um, oh, I'm a single mom now too. So just to throw that out there. So you can probably read between the lines. Yeah, there you go. And so my kids, typical boys, super active. They like to be in every sport possible. And I love taking them. So when my youngest son, Devin, uh, was six years old, we were going to skiing and snowboarding lessons. I grew up skiing all the time and I loved taking them. But let me just tell you, on a Friday night, we would go to this little hill near my house and we went with four or five other families. All the moms would get all of their kids on the hill to take these lessons and getting your child with all of their gear 
times four onto a mountain, I earned every sip of wine that I took that night while my kids were in these lessons. But my, my son, Devin, had a fall, and the, the teacher or instructor brought him in, and we thought that he got a concussion. And so we spent that weekend kind of taking it slow, and then he saw his pediatrician, and she thought that um, he also had a concussion. And I actually just want to pause right here because Jen and I have talked about what these podcasts are going to be, and she lived this with me, but I have never actually retold this story sitting with her. Um, and I'm a nurse, so Christine called me during this time and asked me my opinion. And the last thing you think is anything other than normal boy stuff, like falling. And concussions. We had had a lot, unfortunately, right? Ear infections, those type of things. Yeah. And so, but I just want to preface by saying I might, I can tell my story a lot and without getting welly, I'm, I'm not a big fan of crying. So Jen, pinch me if I get a little bit welly. I'll kick you right in the shin. Yes, thank you. I, I would like that. Um, so my son Devin went to kindergarten the next day and um, on a Tuesday and he was taking the bus home and I got a phone call from a number I didn't recognize and it was my son Owen who was telling me that Devin was throwing up on the bus. And so I immediately called the pediatrician. We went to the hospital. And that night, we found ourselves in an ambulance headed to Boston Children's Hospital. And my youngest son, Devin, was diagnosed with diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma, DIPG, um, which is a not curable, not treatable, and devastatingly uh, not survivable pediatric brain cancer. And... Uh, Devin had nothing prior to that that we would have thought anything was going on. So uh, the only way I can describe this is feeling like I was on the floor. Um, and then probably the worst news or equally as bad news came that they said he had eight months to two years to live if we were lucky. And so in that darkness, I've always been a very hopeful, optimistic, right? You tell yes. me I'm the internal optimistic um very optimistic and without even realizing but i my mindset was you know this this is not happening right like they can tell me this but he's going to be the one he's going to be the first one yeah so another story that i'll share at another time but I, i lost my mom um, to, to breast cancer when I was 30. And Devin was actually born on her five-year angelversary. So I always believe that she sent him to us to make her loss a little bit lighter. So I thought there is no way this kid is going anywhere. Right. And I needed to find hope. And I think through different avenues I did in that very first day, um, brought Devin home to my other kids surrounded by our family and friends. Jen, you were you were there. Right. And um, it was my oldest son's birthday, and I had to sing happy birthday to him. And um, I can tell you that that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, uh, singing happy birthday to my oldest son with my youngest son sitting next to him and being told that he probably wouldn't live to see another birthday. But I will never forget going into the back room in my house and talking to Jen and you know, we kind of started to come up with a little bit of a plan, which was just radiation at that moment. But Jen, as she had just said, you know, has the medical background. And so the moment I told her, she started 
researching. I did. I started researching and I started to talk to people. One of Christine's really good friends had a friend that had a child who had DIPG. And when I called Dana, she said, please tell me it's not DIPG. And I'll never forget those words. Yeah. And I said, it is. How did you know that? And she had a friend who lost a daughter. Who, by the way, I knew. and knew she had a daughter who died of cancer, but I had no idea what it was. And so my family began to search, you know, worldwide for a cure. And when we did, thousands of people joined our fight and all had hope for us. And there was so much love and support. People organized fundraisers because there's literally no funding for this disease. There's insurance doesn't cover anything other than radiation. Everything else is uh, on a trial basis. Um, People organized meals and helped us create amazing memories, right? Like right. we created it literally became Devon's army. Like everybody came together. It was beautiful and sad. There yeah. were so many emotions. Yeah. And um we were trying to come up with a hashtag and I thought someone has to be first to beat this disease that they just said not one person has survived. It's it's not treatable, it's not curable, and why not Devin? And so we began the hashtag, why not Devin? And it spread like wildfire. Yes. And I was just telling the story the other day. It was probably two weeks after Devin was diagnosed and a college friend held a fundraiser. And on our way there, my phone started blowing up and it was because Kim Kardashian had tweeted a picture of Devin and I and said to pray for our family and this little boy. And I remember that crazy. It was insane. And then from that, I think, you know, it just kind of Devin had this very charismatic personality that made everyone laugh. Full of shenanigans. That Full point. of shenanigans. Yeah. And he was the youngest of four boys. So he yeah. needed to be. But yeah, telling my kids about their youngest brother was very difficult. Um, my oldest was in sixth grade and fourth grade and second grade. And, you know, when your kids look you in the face and say, is Devin going to die? And you, you know, are, are crushed inside, but you need to be this supportive parent who is also going to take care of these kids. And my only response to them was, we are going to do everything we can to get rid of this rock and we're going to write our own story. And, and you did. Yeah. And that was, I feel like the, the mantra going through this whole thing was we are going to write our own story. And, and we tried and we went to London for, um, for a trial for Devin because he had a biopsy here in the United States that kicked him out of every single trial here in the United States, um, which was good to know. So we didn't waste time here in the United States, but was also insanely frustrating. Um, but we picked up our family and we moved to London for three and a half weeks. Um, we stayed in a flat rented for us by a total stranger. The kindness of strangers really, it was incredible, incredible. There was so much love and support from complete strangers who didn't know us, didn't know Devin, who, who didn't know what DIPG was, but they all had hope for a cure for our family. And we, we went to London. Devin had this major surgery to put two catheters into the front of his head and two into the back to administer chemo. And um, we took him home to this flat rented to us, like I said, by a complete stranger. And um, I'll never forget, five days after this child had major brain surgery, we woke up and it was a beautiful sunny day, like similar to today. 
and uh, we went to a park and this was in London. Mm-hmm, yep, and let the boys just run and yell and have fun like normal boys. And I was terrified for a brief moment because Devin always had to keep up with his brothers, yes. no matter what. Right? Go big or go home with he, Devin. Uh huh. Um, yes, and so. I was a little terrified and the kid, there was this huge, huge spider jungle gym and the boys were climbing all over it. And the next thing I knew, Devin was climbing on this jungle gym and I was absolutely terrified, but I was terrified he would fall, right? He had just had major brain surgery. He has brain cancer and he fell. Right. And he got, yeah. And he got back up and his brothers were on the jungle gym shouting, you can do this. Let's go. You've got it. You know, whatever. And he climbed all the way to the top and in that moment, I think I felt such hope and determination watching the six-year-old complete this. And then with the support of his brothers, it was just this incredible I bet. moment, right? Of course. I mean, that's all you want. Yeah. You want your kids to grow up. Right. You want to watch them grow up and do climb. amazing things and climb to the top. Yeah. Right. So that was so uh, multi-meaning, I think, for me. You know, and then... We had gone to London a few times every three weeks, and um, they realized that the chemo that they were using didn't work. And I thought, okay, that's okay. It just means there's a different combo of meds. And when we went back for another trip and were told that it had grown into a cerebellum, and they said there are amazing team of doctors in London who were so passionate and brilliant and incredible, and the head doctor was very handsome oh well that helps Sturgis was his name he was very handsome shout out yeah just shout out to Sturgis in London who's actually now in New York but anyway um I don't really know that but um they had said there was nothing further that they could do and we came home here to the United States and I thought okay well it's just because our United States doctors are going to heal him I remember going with you and I'm kind of jumping around here it's a kind of giving you some of the 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 pivotal pinpoint moments during this journey, because let me just preface that this whole journey was only eight months and three weeks, but it was several lifetimes within one. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I remember going to the hospital every, I don't know, all the time, but I go during the day when there were less visitors and you and Devin were one, like he was on, on your lab, hugging you all the time. What? Yeah. And I I feel like he always, like we both said, like he was sent from my mom. He knew when I needed a hug. He was attached to me. Always. This poor child didn't take a nap ever in a crib because he was always on the go wherever his brothers needed to be. So he slept on me all the time. Right. right? There's so many great pictures of, and we'll post them on the website too, of Devin, you know, on Christine's shoulders, on her back, hugging her, falling asleep on her. Yeah. Right. He was always. Um, and you were with me when we went to Children's. That wasn't when he was admitted, right? Or was it? Oh, no, I called you no. when he was admitted. So you, you had come with me to, to several things with him. Um, for, the, for the radiation mask, which was a tough day. Yeah, that and was then, very tough. And then um, when, when he was admitted, yes. Yeah, but for the Avastin, you came with me too, which right. was terrible. Um, he was admitted eight months and three weeks or no, excuse me, eight months after he was diagnosed, which is the scary number that they said in the beginning, eight months to two years, right? So I remember calling Jen because he had gone in to get some treatment and a nurse came in and said, what 
are you are you doing this at home on your own because he was having respiratory issues and I was having to suction him and that I, I'm by no means a nurse at all like I right and she was playing the role of mom and nurse which is so tough right and um they admitted him finally into children's and I think that's a hard thing with DIPG kids is because we have this wonderful hospitals in Boston and there's the Jimmy fund that is for pediatric cancer. It's one of the best in the country and world, I think. Um, but because DIPG is rare and most kids get treatment elsewhere, they don't really have a dedicated team. And so this amazing nurse, and actually today is, is national nurses day. So happy, happy day, Jenny. And to all the amazing nurses who took care of of Devin, uh, she came in and didn't know us and said, okay, we've got to figure some things out. And he was admitted. And I called you and you went to my house to try to find some clothes and Wolfie. I did try to find this little stuffed wolf. And I kind of tore apart the house. And then I sat down on Christine's, she doesn't know this until now, Christine's floor in her bedroom. And I just started sobbing and I called her neighbor so she could come over and cry with me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so Devin did three weeks more of radiation while we were in the hospital. And, um, he, you know, he kept having these moments of like miraculousness, right? Like miracles kept happening and we'd have a step back and then we'd have a step forward and we think things were going better. And I, we thought he was going home from the hospital, right? So we thought he was doing better. I remember he and I snuggled into bed, which we thought was the last night in the hospital. And um, at 3 a.m. that morning, Devin suffered a massive seizure. And it truly was the first time that I actually thought he might die. Right. I remember you calling me and saying, "Yeah, do you think that? And I said, you need to continue to have hope. But I knew just given I have a hospice background and terminal illness background in nursing, and I knew, but I I had to hold out hope for her. Right, because it became, it was more personal than medical for right. you too, right? Because right. he's like your nephew. Right. So Devin was transported back to the ICU, and he wasn't waking up, and I was terrified. And then a miracle happened, and he opened his beautiful beautiful green eyes and stretched out his arms and gave me the best hug ever and then he gave me a thumbs up and I thought all right this we got this we're good we're going home and um he always gave thumbs up too and he always always had a smile no matter what he was going through yeah always and unfortunately that was the last time that he woke up and we took an ambulance ride home that day um, we talked to my boys like where did they want to be and everyone collaboratively said at home. And so Devin got to be around surrounded by you, Jen, and all of our family and our friends. And, you know, everyone got to be around. And um, Devin passed away the next night in my arms, surrounded by, you know, his brothers and his dad and our dog, who we got a few months before he died that we named Hope, and um, which Colin takes full ownership of that name, my oldest son. Yeah. Let it slide. You know, they're a million stories that I could tell you of things that happened during that that eight months because it's there were so many lifetimes that were that were compiled into that that one time frame right. and um we made memories because of the kindness of other people that will last the rest of us a lifetime we got to you know do a lot uh and I am kind of obsessed with bees and Devin 
again, youngest of four boys, was the only one who ever got stung by bees. And he mm-hmm. somehow got stung a lot. I'm not sure how that happened, other than he was just into everything. He's just playing with bees. Yeah, yeah. And so his funeral was at the end of October and uh, in New England, which there are not bees typically at the end of October. Here, anyway. And um, at his funeral, there were bees everywhere and everywhere like it was really noticeable everybody was talking about yeah. it and they were getting everywhere. stung <laughs> and they were getting stung all of his close friends and a lot of our family and friends got stung by bees mm-hmm. that day and then over the next two weeks and bees typically like now show up in the most meaningful moments and unlikely places all the time all the time and i have always been a huge believer in science my mom showed me that with dragonflies. She painted them and then she passed away and they show up everywhere. And now it's actually kind of crazy because dragonflies and bees are together. together. We find them a lot together. together. And um, I always say, you know, I think that the bee is a reminder of how sweet Devin is, but how much his loss stings. Right. Yeah. So I'm a huge believer in everything happens for a reason. And as difficult as that is to believe in a lot of these like horrific, tragic things that you go through. You know, my mom, like I said, died when I was 30 and I was angry. And I was like, okay, that theory that I've had forever, it's out the window until the day Devin died. And I know I said this to you and I've said it many times. I realized then why my mom died. Right. And it was the only consolation I could have comfort that I knew she was there to meet him. It just made it a little bit uh, easier is not the word or lighter. I don't know. Again, with hope, though, you have to have hope. You have to have a belief that things happen for some reason, whether it's to teach you a lesson or bring people together and his spirit and he's everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere. And he has, you know, I think about him every single day. And when I think about being kind and paying it forward, I always think of Devin. Yeah. And I, I have so many people who come up to me, which for me is the best way to keep his spirit and memory alive. So many people do acts of kindness in his name and in his, and you know, he's still part of our everyday life. We talk about him and I now have a nonprofit that is called the Why Not Devon Foundation to NDIPG. And I help families emotionally and financially with a child who has DIPG. And I also host a mom's retreat weekend. um, Which is amazing. Yeah, I thank you. It's amazing for me as well. But I host moms who have lost a child to DIPG and they come for a weekend of healing. And I, right, because I've been so fortunate to have these incredible Reiki masters and card readers, not tarot cards, but you're like, you know, your life cards, spiritual healers, spiritual healers, and art therapy and all sorts of things. And I've been able to meet other people who have been through the same nightmare that I have. So I just want to share a little story with our listeners. The one. The one listener. The one listener that might be out there. So I am fortunate enough to have a Why Not Devin marathon team now. I really started running when I had Devin. It was my way of actually having a few minutes off the clock and being in a place that I actually couldn't get back in two minutes to take over. So um, couldn't be found or couldn't be found. I had no tracker on me at all. So it was my it was my sanity and my my therapy. And so I had actually, as I'd mentioned, my mom passed away from breast cancer and I had gotten a bib to support 
a breast cancer charity that we had supported over the years. And so I had started training for the marathon. And that January of 2017, I had gone for my last, I'd gone for a 16 mile run. And that was the day that Devin was diagnosed. So I immediately said, I am not running a marathon because I can't take the time away from Devin or my other children. The day before the marathon, or maybe a few days before, one of my very dear friends got a bib from the BAA, which never happens, to raise money for our family. And I had run a few half marathons before. And so she contacted me and said, hey, listen, run half the marathon with me. And I thought, okay, you know what? Totally fine. It's on Easter Sunday. It was on Monday, the day after Easter Sunday, which I was hosting Easter, which was crazy at that time anyway. And then Easter Sunday evening, the head of Team Framingham, where I live, had a team running and they had made Devin the captain of that team. And he came over to give our family t-shirts. So I told him my plan, I'm going to run a half a marathon and just, you know, have fun with it. And he quickly told me there's no way that will happen. I said that too. I was like, there's no way you're running half. Yeah. Well, he said that the momentum would get me through Framingham and I'd get to mile 16 or 17. There's a there's the T there, which is our subway. So you could jump on the T and go into the finish line, which, okay, I was like, fine, that's great. So I, I was a little or very nervous or a little, I don't even know at that point because it was kind of not high on my agenda thinking about my own self. But we were actually leaving Monday night at 10 o'clock p.m. to fly to Rome to be blessed by the Pope. After Christine was supposed to run this marathon. Well, I originally wasn't going to run it, right? And then I thought, okay. So now I'm like, okay, I'm going to run 16 or 17 miles, but I can't get injured because I have to be on that plane to have my child who has terminal cancer be blessed by the Pope and have the rest of our family in this incredible moment where hope is of the utmost on one millionth degree, right? So I'm walking to the start and I first see this girl who has all these pictures of a little boy pinned to her singlet. And I went up to her and I said, are you running for this little boy? And she said, yes, I'm running for my son, Sully, who has brain cancer. Now, the 33 plus thousand people running, and this is the woman that I talked to. And I thought, okay, this woman is running. I'm going to run. And as we get closer to the start line, my phone starts ringing And it is the commissioner of Boston PD police, PD, that is PD, right? So he's commissioner of Boston. And um, he says to me, I just want to wish you good luck. And I want to let you know, Devin is going to be a block from the finish line so he can cross the Boston marathon finish line with you. And I thought, oh my God. No, I don't think I thought amazing at first. I thought, oh my God, now I have to run this whole thing. (laughs) Now I have to finish. Right. There's no way I can't, I can't leave him at the finish line. Right. Right. So I've never run a marathon. Devin was your goal. Devin was my goal. I had never run more than 13 miles. Maybe I'd run 15. I think the last day I ran 15 miles. I ran with one of my best friends the entire time. We took our time. It was the most surreal time of my life. There was so much support and green and support along the the whole 26.2 miles. And I came around that corner onto Boylston. I saw you. It was incredible. There was a whole probably 25 police officers, right, that lined the street and Devin was in front of them. And I got to Devin and he jumped into my arms, which I still have no idea how I didn't fall to the ground because I just run 26. Yeah, 26 is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's point two, man. Right. And he 
wiped my tears, mm-hmm. right? And we crossed that finish line hand in hand. And it was one of the most, I don't even have words for it, honestly. It was not a dry eye in the house. Yeah. And I, it's unexplainable, really, from, from my standpoint, except for it is one of the greatest accomplishments in my life. And to do it with Devin was unbelievable. So then fast forward to the next year, we meet with Mayor Walsh, who's Boston was Boston's mayor, who had become a friend, who was incredible. And he tells me he's going to give me, he tells me he'll give me a bib for the marathon to run again. And I said, okay, well, can I have two more? So he said, fine, I'll give you three. So I immediately called Jen and I called my friend who ran the year before. And I said, great news guys. And I think it was like around one of our birthdays that I was there meeting with him. Oh, no, actually, it was October. October. You're right. And so I said, great news, guys. I have marathon bibs for us. And And I threw up. She threw up. And because I've never I had never run a marathon. Right. But neither had I. So I figured we'd do it together. And we had the best time training together. Our long runs were it was therapy. Yeah, we talked. We laughed. People would ask if we cried the entire time. And we didn't at all. We were incontinent. Yeah. Right. You were incontinent. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so the day of the marathon comes and I actually just want to interject and tell you that I also separated from my then husband two months after Devin passed away. We had been married for a very long time. So my life was in turmoil and it was, I always refer to it as the blender time of my life. It was a storm. It was a storm for sure. And so this marathon that we were running, my second, Jen's first, my girlfriend, Laura Lies, I don't several, was a monsoon. And I said it was a metaphor for my life. Worst weather in 30 years, 40 mile an hour headwinds, which you're, if you're a runner, you know that is the opposite of a tailwind and doesn't help you run. No. And it was three inches of rain the entire time. And you know, honestly, I was worried. Marathon is a lot of a mind F word, right? Yes. And so I was nervous that I was going to come around that corner onto Boylston and fall apart. So instead, instead of that happening, I broke my foot at mile 25. Right, because everybody threw their ponchos on Hereford Street. Yeah. Which is before you get to Boylston and everybody was tripping and falling and Christine yeah. got her foot caught in one of the ponchos and broke her foot. Yeah. And you said to me, do you want to stop? And I was like, nope. Nope. And gotta run. we finished it and it was... So emotional. It, so emotional. And But honestly, I was kind of grateful for a broken foot because it was my focus instead like I've got to get over this finish line instead of missing Devin and I think we hugged for five minutes after we crossed the finish line and I for those who know me (laughs) I'm not a hugger she's got the long awkward hug but it was I've made you a better hugger I'm a better hugger now I'm working on it and after this pandemic I'm definitely I actually crave hugs now but it was so emotional and so moving and it was just unbelievable and we weathered the storm yep we did. And I could not have done it without you. I could not have done it without you at all. <sighs> yeah. We, we have been through, through a lot. So I think we're at time right yes. now. So I think we should cheers. I'm surprised we have any wine left in our glass. Well, I'm drinking through a straw. So yeah. Well, um, then did you refill when I wasn't looking? No, I didn't yet. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening and for helping me tell my story and share Devin's journey. For me, that's a way that I keep his spirit alive and we'll be back and Jen will share her story. You know, I think that there is a lot to be said for what we have both have been through. And our hope is that we can inspire you to know that you can get through whatever it is you're going through. That's right. And keep your tribe close because they are everything. Everything. Yeah. See you next time. Thanks. I never knew what I didn't know.